continue then our series, Steps to What God Wants. And I want us to think this morning, as we look under this heading of Maximum Impact, I want us to think this morning about the first three uh, steps. Helping people get to know us, more importantly helping people to get to know the God that we have found and helping them explore their questions and issues. Helping people move from a place of, uh, of unbelief towards that moment when they can say yes to Jesus for the very first time. How important do we think these steps are? John Wesley told his co-workers, you have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. It is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society, but to save as many souls as you can. To bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance and with all your power to build them up in that holiness without which they cannot see the Lord. Do we agree that this matters more than anything else? Paul certainly did. He said, I've become all things to all men. Why? So that by all possible means I might save some. I will do whatever it takes. Jim had a passion for God. A love for people and a burden to communicate the gospel. But he wrestled with the question of how to bring the message of Christ into a setting that seems so far from him. How could he help people see and embrace the truth when they had so little biblical understanding? The barriers seemed insurmountable. The task appeared virtually impossible. Even with all of the obstacles in front of him, Jim knew he had to try. God had given him a vision to make a difference in the lives of these men and women. So try he did. In fact, he went to great lengths to relate to their culture. Lengths that would probably make you or me feel very uncomfortable. He followed the example of, the, of Paul who took bold risks, becoming all things to all people. What kinds of risks? For starters, he shaved his head right down to the skin. That is, except for the patch of hair, he grew long. Not only that, he began wearing it in a pigtail and even dyed it a different colour all in an effort to fit in with the fashions of the people he wanted to reach. He also gave up his familiar business attire and began to dress like them. He even changed his eating patterns and started to dine in the styles of the ones he cared so much about. Further, he he worked hard to learn their vocabulary in the hopes that he would be able to effectively convey biblical teaching in their everyday street language. He read their papers, studied their ideas, and went out of his way to discover and build on whatever areas of common ground he could find. Jim didn't do all this from a distance, no. He actually moved into the neighbourhood with these people. He lived close to them, became their friend, and spent extended periods of time talking with them, getting to know them, playing with their children, all of this in spite of their non-Christian lifestyles, and in almost every case, their outright rejection of his message. What did other church leaders think of all this? Did they celebrate Jim's tenacious commitment to reaching these unchurched people? Did they rally around him and support his courageous efforts? Did they uphold him in prayer and find ways to encourage him and spur him on to his bold evangelistic pursuits? Not even close. On the contrary, they mostly misunderstood, misrepresented and even openly maligned him. The very people who should have supported and helped him turned their backs on him and his ministry. 
In many ways, he had to continue his efforts by himself with the backing of just a few close friends who shared his vision. Jim paid the price of loneliness, weariness and discouragement. Along with criticism from much of the church, he also lived with the daily rejection of most of those he wanted to reach and he did this year after year. Jim saw the task, faced the opponents, followed the vision and by the grace and help of God, fulfilled his calling. Jim is an extraordinary example of doing the work of evangelism in a difficult situation. His life a powerful illustration of evangelism against the odds. And today, generations later, countless people from the neighbourhoods he worked so hard to reach now know and serve Jesus Christ as their forgiver and leader. Jim, or as he's more widely known, James Hudson Taylor, is the man who more than a century ago gave up everything to take the gospel to China and founded the China Inland Mission. More than anyone else, he is credited with turning so many in that nation to faith in Christ. And today he's regarded widely as one of the greatest pioneers of the modern missions movement. Is it worth taking risks for lost people? Will we do whatever it takes? It's unlikely to mean shaving your hair and putting the small remaining patch into a pigtail, although that could be fun. I'm wondering about a new image for the worship group. But if it did, would you do it to win lost people? Would you do it because you love Jesus? The Apostle Paul, John Wesley, James Hudson Taylor lived by a valley that said, I'll do whatever it takes to reach people. But hey, we're not followers, fortunately, you might say, of John Wesley, James Hudson Taylor, or even the Apostle Paul. We're followers of Jesus. What about Jesus? Well, come with me to a garden for a moment. A garden just outside the big, great city, as it was known as Jerusalem. It's night. The air is cold. In every sense, it's very dark. The horror of the cross, the physical agony of a Roman execution, the searing inner pain of being separated from his father, the crushing abandonment of the sin of the world is looming. Father, if you're willing, take it, please. But hey, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. He was willing. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And then at the end of his life, he said very simply, my mission here has come to an end. Now it's your turn as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. We need to move ever closer as a church and as individuals to a point where winning lost people is a value high, high above so many others. A value that together with this call to maturity is what we build our lives and actions around. Will this decision or will this action help us reach lost people? If it will, let's do it. Let's do it even if it's unpopular. Let's do it even if it's hard. Let's do it even if we don't like it. Let's do it because our task is to win lost people. If it won't, then why do we bother? 
The verses that were read to us, that Brian read to us, are from a very well-known part of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. A collection of the major teachings of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount because he spoke it from a mountainside. And Jesus, in a very practical way, is talking about Christian living. Lots of how-tos in those chapters, 5, 6 and 7 of Matthew. How to live in the kingdom, how to live pure lives, how to give, how to pray, how to fast, how to divorce or not, whether you should divorce or not, how to swear, how to keep pure lives, how to react to your enemies and so on. And then this little uh, uh, set of verses for this morning, how to be a great witness. And to help us think about those little verses about salt and light, uh, I want to offer you an algebraic equation. Now I accept that most of you have gone very sweaty on the back of your neck at the thought of an algebraic equation, but two of you have suddenly woken up really excited at the thought of having a go at an algebraic equation. You two are both wearing anoraks. Uh, stick with me, those of you who are uncertain, because God says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. What does that mean for you and me today and tomorrow? Well, first thing it means is this, MI. It means maximum impact. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. The next metaphor was a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that is seen from miles around. A city on a hill is strong and defendable. Big impact. Of course, we had this verse last week. Go and make disciples of all nations. Literally, it means every different group of people. Go and make disciples of all people. So, win people from every different category you can divide human beings into. So, win Welsh people and win Scottish people, Irish people and the odd English person too. Win rich people and poor people. Win sick people and healthy people, young people and old people, middle-aged people and those pretending to be middle-aged people. The influential people, the oppressed, the powerful, the powerless, the religious, the non-religious, the atheist, the agnostic, whatever group of people, win those people for Jesus. Computer nerds, win them. Engineers, win them. No, maybe not. Uh, Estate agents, second-hand car dealers, with apologies to estate agents and second-hand car dealers. Every single group, Jesus is looking for maximum impact. And I can understand that that, rather than inspiring you, which I'd like to do this morning, can have the effect of uh, depressing you or overwhelming you, deflating you. How on earth am I going to be a Christian that has this maximum impact? What can I possibly do? Well, I tell you this. If you do your part, God will certainly do his. You see, whilst the goal is to the ends of the earth, the strategy is so often one person at a time. Never underestimate the power of your witness to one other person. The ripple effect can be quite incredible. Never belittle what can happen when you reach to someone else, get alongside them, love them, share your faith with them, invite them into the church community. It's April the 21st, 1855. A Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball is pacing outside a shoe shop in Chicago. He's an ordinary guy. He's a member of his local church where he's a Sunday school teacher. Outside that shop, he's doing what so many of us have done. Shall I? Shan't I? Shall I? Shan't I? Have I got the bottle? No, I haven't. Yes, I have. No, I haven't. Shall I? Shan't I? Will I go? Won't I? You see, inside that shop is one of the boys from his Sunday school class working as a shoe assistant, and this lad is really not being reached. 
but he was on Edward Kimball's heart. And picture him pacing outside the shop. Can I do this? Can I go in? Shall I? Shan't I? To cut a long story short, he goes in. He gets alongside this young lad. And to truncate the story a little, that boy becomes a Christian. His name, Dwight Lyman Moody, who went on to found Moody Church and became probably the greatest evangelist of his era. Dwight Moody preached to thousands. And one day, a man by the name of F.B. Meyer was in the congregation. And F.B. Meyer was sitting in the audience, and one day, he was so stirred by the Spirit of God, by what Dwight Moody was preaching, that he gave his life to Christ, and he said, from this day on, I'm going to be a minister of the gospel. Nothing else mattered. And that's exactly what he went on to do. And as a result of his ministry, one day, F.B. Meyer was preaching, and Wilbert Chapman, a college student, was in the audience, and he gave his life to Christ. Wilbert Chapman worked for the YMCA and happened to hire a young professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday, whom through his ministry, Billy Sunday came to Christ. And Billy Sunday was invited to lead a crusade by some businessmen in North Carolina. The last minute he couldn't make it, so somebody else was invited to lead Billy's crusade. His name was Mordecai Ham. And that's the most unbelievable thing, that that was his name about this whole story. Mordecai Ham, God bless him. It's true. Remember where it all started though? Sunday school teacher. You could have been that Sunday school teacher, so could I. Ordinary stuff, an ordinary guy, an ordinary church. He's pacing outside the shoe shop. Shall I? Shan't I? Can I do this? No, I can't. Yes, I can. God says I can. I don't feel I can. Shall I go in? And he goes in. Remember that's where it started. Okay, you still with me? Mordecai Ham is now leading this crusade. Now, local to where Mordecai Ham is leading this crusade, there's a 24-year-old local farmer by the name of Albert McMakin, who had recently come to faith in Christ. Albert is so excited what Je- about what Jesus has done in his life, he wants everybody he knows to come and hear about it, so he starts taking trucks full of young people to Mordecai Ham's crusade. And on his heart, as he takes those truckloads of people to those crusades, was a young, good-looking farmer's boy. And he tried to persuade this young, good-looking farmer's boy to come with him to the crusade. The boy was far more interested in falling in and out of love with the local girls. But just like that Sunday school teacher pacing outside the shop, he didn't give up. And Albert kept asking him, and eventually managed to persuade him to come by asking him to drive the truck. When they arrived, Albert's guest, the truck driver, went in and was spellbound by Mordecai Ham's preaching. He went back night after night. And on the last night, this tall, lanky, handsome man went forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. His name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham. And you know the rest of the story. We might not be called to be great public evangelists, but every one of us could have been that Sunday school teacher, couldn't we? Who believed in God's ability to touch a young life. Every one of us could have been Albert McMakin, who kept encouraging young farmer Billy, come in here. Billy, come in here, come tonight. Drive the truck if it'll get you there. Come tonight, Billy. One life touched for Jesus, and who knows... How easy it could have been for that Sunday school teacher not to bother. What's the point? He's not interested. He's never interested in class. What's the point of me going into the shop? He'll be embarrassed about me being there. He won't want to know me, or at least talk to me. What difference will it make? And thousands would not have come to Christ. 
would the young farmer bother with Billy? Will you bother with the person God's given you? Who knows what might happen? Your witness to your neighbour who becomes a Christian, and as a result his or her spouse gets converted, Together they go on and teach their children about Jesus and they grow up and become committed Christians. They find committed partners and they have children and they teach their children in the way and soon a whole generation has come to Christ. Just one person at a time. Maximum impact starts with one. Think of all the people Paul, the apostle, was responsible for bringing to Christ. If it wasn't for Ananias, would you have gone? hey, go to Paul, he's the one that kills Christians. Would you have gone? If it wasn't for Ananias, will you be that Ananias? Will you be that Sunday school teacher? Will you be that friend? If God's behind it, who knows the difference one connection can make? For all of you pacing up and down today, shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I, for your sake, for their sake, for heaven's sake, just do it. Just do it. Before we move on, I have to say that as a church, we're really thin on the ground at the moment for our junior church team. And if that story hasn't done so, let me just remind you how strategic our junior church ministry is. There will be loads of us here who discovered the foundations of our faith through a Sunday school teacher. We may have gone away, only later to come back. Many of us here owe a great debt in the faith to Sunday school teachers. We're so few in our church, and I appreciate when they go out, it looks like lots of adults are going. Lots of them drip in at the back, having left their kids and settled them. I can only imagine with so few of us actually engaging in this ministry that we haven't been very good at helping each other see its strategic importance. Now, just to be clear, we don't let anyone teach our children. You've got to be a church member. You've got to be passionate about Jesus. You've got to be able to work with children. You've got to not only talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. And that's some of you here today. And the God of heaven says, please, please, talk to Claire if that's you. So what are these ingredients then to make a maximum impact? Well, first is high potency. Jesus says there's some kind of salt that's useless. It's lost its saltiness. Useless, throw it away, it's no good. It it doesn't do the job salt is supposed to do. Well, what is salt supposed to do? These days we're nervous about salt, it's bad for you. There's too much salt on those chips. Do I look bothered? What's it there for? I thought there was this restaurant in town that was really generous. I mean, why do bars and restaurants give away salty peanuts and snacks? You see, we eat at a restaurant sometimes and they say, Mr. Harris, have these with our compliments. And they give you this lovely bowl of very salty, dried vegetable kind of stuff. Actually, it's quite nice when you're starving, hungry, and you munch your way. Uh, These are very nice people, aren't they? At first I thought they were particularly generous until I cottoned on, until I heard the, the unspoken subtext. Have these, Mr. Harris. We'll get you so thirsty, you'll buy up half the bar and be up half the night. Salt makes you thirsty. Are we making people thirsty for more? In a similar vein, uh, uh, open a pack. Well, you don't open Pringles, you pop Pringles. Do Pringles satisfy? 
Have you ever eaten your last Pringle and said, there, I'm done? Liars. It's empty, that's why you're done. Are we helping people understand their thirst? Are we leaving people longing for more of what they've begun to see in us? Salt adds flavour, of course. Spices things up, enhances. Are people glad to have us as Christians around because they know we bring flavour and spice to what would otherwise be bland? Research suggests that people think that Christians are generally less free, more unfashionable, more isolated, less sexually fulfilled, more boring, psychologically weaker, with fewer interests, less realistic, less involved in the real world, less happy and less friendly. Sounds great, doesn't it? What a wonderful advert for being a follower of Christ. You see, non-Christians think of Christians, they think we're the party poopers, not the party poppers. What about the flavour God's asking us to bring? And what about the preservative? We stick things in fridges, but before then it was packed with salt. And as this society moves further and further away from its Christian fabric, the moral basis on which we live is moving, falling rapidly away. Will we be the preservative? Will we be the cleanser, the healer? Why did Jesus choose salt? Which one of those was Jesus thinking about? One of them, all of them, you choose. Nobody can make up their mind. All of them work. But maybe more importantly, it's what Jesus says about the salt. Don't be any salt. You've got to be highly potent salt. Isn't that exactly what we're going to need to do this stuff? People highly potent with Jesus Christ. We need Christians with a strong concentration of Jesus in our lives. Salt that's lost its saltiness doesn't create thirst or add flavour or hold back to clay or bring cleansing. And nor will a Christian has lost the potency of Christ. But that's not all because being potent is of course not enough. You can have industrial strength salt that makes no difference whatsoever if it remains in the packet, in the salt shaker. Unless salt gets poured out, it's utterly useless. Nothing more than a table ornament. Salt only impacts when it's poured. Close proximity. You see, you can be a Christian and think you have high potency this morning. A high concentration of Christ. But that makes no impact whatsoever unless it gets close enough to someone to make a difference. We may walk what we believe to be a God-honouring path in the personal patterns of our living. But if we never rub shoulders with anybody, the salt never gets to work. What's the biggest challenge for you? Is it your potency or your proximity? Jesus is an incredible uh, uh, model for us to follow. His potency potency is, is so clear and evident, and yet his proximity to people was outrageous. So outrageous that the religious people said, what on earth is this holy man doing mixing and eating with sinners and tax collectors? They couldn't understand why Jesus went about mixing and mingling, teaching, reaching, sharing, touching and caring. That through personal encounter, he might help people discover the truth. 
He didn't keep himself to himself. He did get involved, not by saying, come to our meeting or come to my study class or join me at the local synagogue, but by sharing with them, socially, compassionately, demonstrating his values in ordinary places. From tax collectors and sinners to high-class religious people, what did he do? He went to their homes. He shared meals with them and could be found at their parties. From the back streets to the main streets, Jesus moved in the social circles of his day outside of the church. And so he modelled his strategy. As the Father has sent me, now you go, do the same. Get out there, do the same. But then there's this final dimension. You're the light of the world. Light makes things visible. We need clear proclamation. Welshman, Irishman went into a cave. The Irishman says, it's dark in here. Welshman says, I don't know, I can't see. (laughs) See, are we making things visible for people? I know you have to use words. I know you wish we didn't have to speak. We all wish we didn't have to speak, really. And we all wish that our lives were so fantastic that everybody saw the gospel in us so we didn't have to say anything. But hey, even if your life is that fantastic, and we pray that it is, that people will see something different in us, there will come a point when they'll say to us, using their words, hey, how come you're different? And we say, oh, I'd rather not talk about it. I'm going to carry on being nice and hope that you guess why I'm different. There comes a point when we have to use words. Peter said, writing in his letter, he says, hey, you've got to explain, give a reason, help people understand the hope, the difference that is within you. The good news is, though, if the bad news is you have to speak, the good news, of course, is you don't have to do it all yourself. There is great benefit. In fact, it is necessary for us as a church to provide opportunities for people to hear the gospel being proclaimed. That's what we see modelled in the New Testament. There were lots of personal conversations that went alongside quite a lot of public proclaiming. You see, Peter preaches to the crowd. Philip talks with the Ethiopian. Sometimes it's a chat by a river. Sometimes it's a sermon with a house full. And so we need things in our church where once you've started talking to people, you say, hey, come. Come and hear what I'm saying in a different kind of way. Come and hear someone else talk about it from their experience. And people, just like any good offer, they need to hear it in different ways, in different contexts, to help them be ready to respond. So we need things in our church where you can say, come and hear. That's what Albert McMakin did to Billy Graham. That's what Andrew, the first disciple, did for his brother Simon. And it's what you can do for those God has given you. But what you need in this church and what it is our responsibility to provide is places where you can invite people to come and know with absolute certainty we're not going to muck it up for you. You know, you're warming up your neighbour and eventually you bring them to church and, you know, it goes terribly wrong for all kinds of reasons. And so we need things in our church that are, that are deliberately designed for you to bring people to. Things that will connect with the kind, of, <clears throat> excuse me, the kind of person that you are bringing. One of the hardest things has been, since we've been on this whole step journey, is to sustain a strategic pattern for this in our church. 
We've had good examples of it. What's happening now in Tillywings is a really good example of what we're talking about. We need to see it modelled right across our church for people, different situations, different backgrounds, different circumstances, different opportunities, where people can come and you can bring people with confidence knowing that in a way that helps people feel comfortable and relaxed, they can hear this message, this life-changing message of the gospel. And to my delight, God is stirring, raising up people in our church to bring that about. We need to see that as a sustained strategy in our church over the next year or so. It's really important. But I want to leave you this morning in a much more personal frame of mind. I want you to think about your life for a minute. Do you buy into this? Do you buy into this in your own personal life? Do you want to be salt and light for the kingdom of God? You're looking to make a difference, maximum impact that begins with one. And if so, honestly, what is it for you that's the real sticking point here? How are these three components doing in your life? Make an honest assessment. It's not about a guilt trip, but we just want to be honest before God and say, God, this is where I'm weak, because when we're weak, God makes us strong. It's a good thing to to declare before God your weakness. You see, are we in danger of flirting with the arithmetic? High potency but low proximity and we wonder why there's no MI, maximum impact. Are we okay with the proximity? I'm getting right in there with the crowd. The trouble is I'm so in with the crowd I I don't look any different from them anymore. I've lost my potency. We might say potency, proximity, good. But I don't want to say anything. I'll just rub shoulders with people and pray something will rub off. What's the challenge for you? What's the challenge for me? High potency, close proximity, clear proclamation. Maximum impact. I thank God for the Sunday school teacher that walked outside that shoe shop, don't you? I thank God for the people that did that for me. People that said, shall I, shan't I? Have I got the courage? Can I be bothered? Have I got the time? Have I got the interest? But they bothered with me and they... You've got people that bothered with you. Thank God for Ananias. And for all those like him. Will you be one of those? Different ways, different context, but will you be one of those? Shall I, shan't I? Yes. I'm going to do this. Salt and light. Maximum impact. I'm in. Let's pray. Father, we recognise our weakness and, we, and we're learning to be comfortable with our weakness because it's as we acknowledge our weakness and our vulnerability that you can make us strong. And we don't pretend to have all this buttoned down and sorted in our lives. Thank you for stirring in us, maybe again this morning that we want to be those people that make that kind of difference. And so, Lord, we offer you our weakness, asking you to help us be strong. If our walk with you is shallow, then how can we make a difference? 
increase the concentration of Christ in our lives. And we take responsibility for that through Bible study and prayer and fellowship and all the things that are part of our maturity walk. And if we spend so much time getting highly potent, we've actually lost all proximity. We rarely meet people, don't really know people outside of the church community. Lord, we're sorry when we've let that happen in our lives. Show us the people that you've given us if we cannot see them, who they are right now. And as you laid on Edward Kimball's heart, that young lad working in the shoe shop, and as you laid on Albert McMakin's heart, that young farmer boy, lay someone on our hearts, please God. And then give us boldness to speak. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the complicated words. Just the courage to say, hey, I've met Jesus and this is what's happened to me. It's changed my world. That's the most powerful thing you can say to another human being. Help us, Lord. Maybe if God is speaking to you, you just want to use the prayer corner at the end of our service. Someone will be glad to join you there to pray with you. Just to seal what God is saying in your heart. Just to pray with you through the commitments that you're making. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.